Hello and welcome to another edition of Cooler Talks. A little bit of context about Cooler Collective. It's an event, an event series that runs a lot of nights around London, mainly promoting a lot of live music, poetry and art, different art forms together. And now I'm joined by a close friend, Theo Bard, who runs Woodburner Music. So thank you, Theo, for joining. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, and it's really nice that we're kind of sat in your living room right now and actually kind of did this little DIY setup. But I also know a lot about your project and it, it's really exciting because we've worked together before to kind of pick your brain about your journey with it because you've been doing it for quite a while now. Yeah, so um, I first started doing Woodburner events in 2010. So yeah, got a lot of experience now and really seen it uh, develop and bloom and you know, in the very early days, it was me texting my musician friends on like a Saturday or a Sunday being like, hey, do you want to play a woodburner tomorrow? And then people just coming together and loving the music in this disused pub that some friends were living in called The George in, in Hackney. I was a musician. I still am a musician, but I was playing a lot and writing a lot and working with some of the musicians who were living at The George. And there are about 12 or 14 people living in this big pub was completely falling down the draftiest building you could ever imagine going in incredibly damp and nothing in there worked and they had this space this pub space in the downstairs that bit by bit a friend of mine had kind of renovated and kind of stripped back the kind of manky carpet and like stripped all the like bright red and green paint off the walls and just revealed this like incredibly beautiful wooden pub and there were so many people living there mainly students uh, and musicians and it was just a, a, a beautiful space and people just wanted to do something with this amazing space and so the music just felt like a really obvious way to bring people together and we started running every Monday night we my friend built a wood-burning stove which is why it took its name Woodburner and the idea was just completely unamplified music by the fireside by the stove every Monday and we were ordering in kegs of beer and selling a pint for like two pounds they were magical times and it was just completely about creating a beautiful vibe and bringing people together and just having that sense of community and so fast forward to now 13 years later and it's still that same ethos of like finding the places where you can make something special happen on an ongoing basis so that the act that's performing is different but there's like some sort of spirit some sort of vibe some sort of appreciation and an aesthetic that goes with that that's that's kind of carried through, which means that you do see the same faces over and over again. And people, be, you know, people develop that affinity and that relationship with the venue and they see each other as well. And and that's what community is. And it's really, it's really important to do that. I think I really like having that. And also in a, from a sort of a selfish perspective, it also makes programming and organizing events a lot easier because instead of every single act that you contact thinking what venue should I put this act in what date should I get what's the availability like in the five different venues in London it's more like you can speak to a venue and say okay I want to do one Saturday a month for the whole of autumn and winter and into spring or whatever so then you take six dates and you program them all and you have obviously a list of you know if you've got six dates you've got a list of 10, 15 artists and you put the pegs in the holes. But it means that by doing kind of the same amount of work, you end up generating a lot more events rather than trying to do kind of something bespoke every time, which is just inherently much more work, I think. So that's quite nice because it means you, you have one conversation with the venue and you end up with six dates. And then you have one conversation with an artist and you offer them three different dates and then they take one. And then you have the same conversation with another artist, they take a different date and then you can fill all of those spot so from a sort of organizational perspective i think it works quite nicely as well yeah that sounds quite structured to me you're saying it like makes it easier but that is also a lot of work that you have to put in when you plan a whole season but at the beginning when you're talking about this monday uh doing it every monday with your mate in a pub you didn't think like that did you this was just no it was totally mates. just about like creating something beautiful and i was you know singing every single one like opening up the stage with a song at the beginning of the night sometimes performing with my own band and and doing that and it was really about like just facilitating an experience but coming to that as a musician was really exciting as well because you know often it's very transient you know as a musician you show up you get booked to do a gig you show up at a venue you play 
you leave and you have relationships maybe with the promoter, maybe you play at that venue again, but you don't necessarily want to keep playing at the same venue over and over and over again because you want it to feel fresh and exciting and, and dynamic. So coming to running those nights, it, it, it was really nice because suddenly you felt like you had a home, you had a base. When I discovered putting on events, that just gave me this incredible buzz and this incredible feeling of excitement. In some ways, the role of like facilitator is a really lovely role to be in. And it puts you right in the like social heart of what's going on. Sometimes as a musician, you know, you should be really focused on your performance, on the music itself. And in order to do that, sometimes you have to take yourself away in order to just focus. And that means, you know, um, not only having rehearsals and preparing and writing, recording, but also on the actual night of the performance itself, you kind of need to be in a different headspace. You can't really be chatting to everyone because you're thinking about your performance, staying focused, not rinsing your voice, shouting over a sound system, not trying to talk to everyone. And then suddenly you're standing on stage and you've forgotten what you're supposed to be doing, you know? And I think the best performers do do that. You know, there's a green room in venues for a good reason. People are very, take that very seriously and they want to play scales and arpeggios before they go on stage or they want to warm up their voice or they want to just be quiet and relax because they want to save all of their energy for the audience when they're on stage. But I always really liked not having to do that and having this like amazing <laughs> social world around me instead of being like, oh, my friends are here. I can say hi to everyone. I can chat to the musicians. I can chat chat to the audience. I can talk to the team, the people who are doing the bar the, or the door or whatever. And, um, and that's like a really different role that you play. And I, I think, I think that that suits me quite well. I really like that being around lots of people and that kind of social element to running events. It's fun. It's good fun. Yeah, I agree. I think there's there's something nice also about giving an artist the space to warm up and get comfortable. And if you can be the person that make them feel like they want to do their best performance, it's also a really nice feeling when artists come up to you and are appreciative of, of you giving them the platform or you hosting them. And I see you on your nights as well. And it's just like just flowing with it. You know what I mean? You kind of know mm. exactly what to do. Just it, on the, I'm just tonight today off the back of gig on Thursday, gig on Friday, gig on Saturday, and today's Sunday. So yeah, last night I did, didn't stay till the, the very, very end of the party. It's a bit yeah. naughty, I guess. But. There's a lot of promoters that can kind of get lost in this slightly unhealthy schedule where, you know, there's lots of late nights, but I think mm. you tend to do it well. The big thing really for me is I don't really drink at my own events because it's so easy to get swept away in that. And if you're doing it twice a week, three times a week, you know, it's so easy to just get swept away into like your third pint, your fourth pint, you know. And if you're doing that, if that's part of your job, people who work in bars, people who work in venues, you know, alcohol's not, not great for you. And I'm kind of quite aware of that. And yeah, I'm happy about that. I like trying to look after myself. And I think it just means I'll be able to keep doing this for longer. Yeah. It's got to be a good thing. Yeah. And you also have, have always kind of booked live music, right? I mean, you, you do yeah. um, some, have DJs on your night, but you've always kind of been one for a live band. Yeah, I think that's definitely like, that's grown directly from my passion for live music. Like, um, I started playing music when I was very, very young. And that, I think, still informs the things that excite me. And the things that excite me the most in music are just like pure musicianship including vocals but like I just love to see like that that human means of production for me that's the most exciting thing and I have enormous respect for DJs and producers and like the different forms of music that those people make and you know the incredibly important role that DJs have but like for me the thing that's most exciting is like seeing musicians actually playing that music live on stage for an audience that's the thing that just like really drives me but having said that, DJs are amazing and yeah, it, that's something I've kind of forced, been forced to learn more about, I think, over the course of running events rather than something that I was kind of naturally drawn to. Like some people are just naturally drawn to DJs. They, you know, and most most of those people are DJs, mm -hmm. you know, and that's great. And if you're it's a very a, accessible skill. Yeah, if you're, a, but if you're a great DJ and you're like really passionate about your craft, then you're going to know about loads of other awesome DJs. You're in a great position to, to run DJ nights. And, but the process of booking and promoting live bands is, is different to DJs. I mean, you're catering for, let's say, a band of four people. You have to make sure four people arrive on time, four people sound check. 
it's it's different. It's it's a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, bands need a lot more. Yeah. They need they need a lot more than a DJ. Um, technically and in terms of hospitality and and yeah, provision of space, um, they do need a lot more, and that makes running gigs much more complicated. Um, but I think it's worth it. I mean, like people who want to be musicians, it's not because you know, like. It's a sad fact that most DJs earn more money than musicians and not necessarily because their level is higher or they've spent longer honing that craft. But um, I think the same thing applies to running gigs. You know, running gigs is inherently, it involves much more people and that means you divide the pie more ways and that makes it harder for people in all sorts of ways. But like everyone is doing it for the right reasons. Everyone's got that passion for it and it's really exciting. And you know you work with a, with a lot of venues as well, and you've got a shorter amount of time with a live with live music usually. I mean, I know at the mm. Jago you run nights; they have license till three three thirty. Um, do you face a lot of challenges? Would you say over the years of learning, you know, people in summer come later, and there's it's harder to get people down for the first band, and and then you know bar spends as well, making sure that you can hit them. You're kind of always a bit of a slave to the venue a little bit with promoting and you've been doing this for a long time and you have worked with a lot of venues like what what's that process been like yeah i think that it's really about like developing a relationship with a venue um that's what excites me and it's about like having those conversations and making sure that the venue are going to get what they want from the relationship as well as you as the promoter and sometimes yeah i mean you mentioned like running times yeah of course like a, a you know a band is really what they want to do is put on a really intense amazing performance for 45 minutes an hour an hour and a half tops um whereas yeah a, a really a, you know a successful venue will want to you know be open and trading for you know not an hour and a half or two hours but probably five or six or seven or eight hours even and um so you have to find ways to to keep everyone happy and like maintain that relationship and that can be booking DJs, booking support acts. Um, I think also there's there's also room for just accepting that and doing an early show. I mean, then it's like everyone's a winner. You don't have to, you, you don't have to commit to pro providing a really long program of music if you don't think it's that, if you don't really have something that's gonna be that good. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're doing this thing with um, Chancha Via Circuito and El Buo, and they're doing like a four hour back-to-back -back set. You know, two DJs, playing together for four hours. So then you're like, okay, great. You know, we book one or two other DJs and you've got like an eight hour program of music there, no problem. That's awesome. But yeah, you know, the band we had last night, or they breakfast cafe, they were amazing. Mm -hmm. They played for 75 minutes, which is an awesome length of set. But like, yeah, there's no way that you could expect them to play a four hour set. I think so much of what we do as event organizers is about just like finding the appropriate combination of elements which is like running times, venues, artists, bands, DJs. It's about just like putting it together in a way, way that's going to work for everyone. And when you get in that sweet spot, then that's when everyone's really happy. Audience loves it. The performers love it. The venue love it. And that's that's kind of what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is about programming as well. So what's you must have learned a few things about programming over the years, like bringing things together that makes sense and building energy throughout the night and putting bands at the, and DJs at the right times in order to make a nice flow of music throughout the night. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in that sense, yeah, programming, I think, I think it's really about like having high standards and just not settling for like the first idea that comes into your head and thinking like, what is the best thing that would, would, would fit this night most appropriately? And if you don't know, a brilliant way to do it is just ask. And often the best support acts are the best mates of the headline act. You know, and the best DJ is best mates with the headline act or best mates with the support or recommended to you by a friend who's an awesome musician who plays with, like, everyone. It's really easy to get stuck on a, a bit of programming and just think, like, how am I going to fill this? And you just end up, like, going looking back through all of your previous bookings and just like not being excited by anything and not feeling like you found the right thing. 
And then you just realize that you're not alone in that process. You can just ask other people and suddenly you've got like 10 ideas of things that you never thought of before and could never have like dug out of Instagram or Spotify or whatever or Mixcloud just because it's hard to find new stuff mm-hmm. and you don't know where to look and you don't know who knows who and who's part of your circle and who would love to do it and who's currently writing an album and not interested in performing. And, you know, there's just so many variables and just asking people is definitely the best way to go. It's so... I'm always just like amazed at, at what a brilliant resource other people are and how willing people are to help with that stuff as well. Yeah, so that's my hot tip. Yeah, I think I'm definitely at that point now where it can be quite difficult because you put a lot of passion into, oh yeah, what, what, what you found and where you're looking and, and actually you can get yourself in a bit of a, a, a tricky situation when, 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 when you do that and run out of creative juice mm. and I'm kind of in that crossroads now and I, and I think that that is a good piece of advice actually of just trying to broaden your network through knowing people and I think for me knowing bands and mm. actually getting to know them on a, on a friendly level and then them inviting me to their gigs and their jams and the things that they make you end up meeting their networks and you find more musicians and you realize it's a very nurturing and loving community they all want to help each other out. And I love it when uh, someone will text me saying, oh, I got your number from this person who booked me and this is my stuff. I mean, I like it when people do plug themselves, whether, whether it fits or not, it's like them putting themselves out there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, on a purely sort of egocentric level, it's always very flattering when musicians, artists, DJs get in touch to say, I'd love to perform at your event. Mm. And just on your programming, it's it's very diverse. I'd say for people that don't really know, you know, you, you, you put a you provide a platform to a lot of artists from all over the world, different global sounds and, and, and more niche audiences and niche groups where you're not trying to book the biggest jazz band in the London scene, but you'll also have um like last week I went to one of your events where it was uh, women singing with drums and it was just like a tribal Um, Latin it was an amazing performance you've always been a champion of trying to program that kind of music yeah I mean as I just always follow my passion I always follow the thing that's most exciting for me and if that is yeah um, an all female and female and non-binary group uh, writing and singing um, songs with percussion inspired by Brazilian music then that's what it's got to be and um yeah, I mean, those guys are probably never going to end up at the O2, but maybe that's okay. Maybe that's great. For mm-hmm. me, it's so exciting discovering this music and just how talented people are um, who are making such diverse and interesting and different music. You know, the melting pot of London is phenomenal. You've got like so many ridiculously talented international artists living in London. And um, yeah, I've always just wanted to wanted to celebrate that and be part of that. And it's... It's never really been, it's never been like a conscious choice that I've made, I don't think. It's always just been like something I've just been sort of magnetised towards a dream gig to put on where the whole audience is singing along, everyone is participating in the performance and that just creates an amazing atmosphere and it's like spiritual. I think singing with other people is just an amazing thing and just incredibly powerful. I just love to sing with other people get in a circle, get together with lots of people and and make music together. Um, it's incredibly connecting. It's very, very sort of connecting to your own body and then to others through through song, through voice. It's so cool. It's always great to have an audience that have come from all different um, corners of London, but also their heritage from all corners of the globe and they're here to celebrate that sound. The question is, is how important is the Woodburner brand in that, or is it the band you think that brings a lot of those, uh, a lot of the people down? What have you learned about your audience? I think that's such an interesting question, and I think there's no easy answer to that. I mm-hmm. think at any Woodburner gig, there will be a big proportion of people who don't even know what Woodburner is, and that's fine, that's great. And I still think it's incredibly valuable that Woodburner is championing that music and bringing those people out to those shows, because, if Woodburner does it, there's no. If, if Woodburner doesn't do it, there's no guarantee that somebody else is going to put that gig on. So it doesn't actually matter whether people know they're coming to Woodburner. It's still valuable just by the fact that it it happens. 
there are also always people who know all about Woodburner and have loved it. And some of them have been supporters from the very beginning and other people have joined the journey later. And I love, I love the fact that people are always discovering it. And I think there's a really interesting... I think what I love about Woodburner is it's in such a kind of interesting position in that, like lots of other um, you know, people who work in the music industry, other record labels, promoters, um, it, we, we sit between the artist and the audience and the venue and to be like right in the middle of that, those relationships just means you can go in lots of different directions and you're pulling people in from everywhere. And it, it really means that there's a sort of magnetism to Woodburn that I think that just is constantly drawing people in. Um, and certainly like the more I develop Woodburner, the more I feel at the heart of something and it feels like the, the kind of the concentric circles get wider and there's a sort of a, a gravity that draws more people into it and that's so cool like to be like this far into it and just feel like it's just going to grow and flourish and 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 just excite more and more people I think it's like you know we're just putting on something really exciting it's in a way although it you know starting a new promotion company running nights is really difficult and it can be very difficult financially and you can lose money very easily and it's very risky and it's very stressful particularly when you don't have the experience of doing it before it's difficult in all sorts of ways but right now I just feel like it's actually like the offer in itself is like we're putting on great music and that is actually quite an easy sell because mm -hmm. you're just like we're putting on a great thing it's like come to our thing it's awesome like come along experience it for yourself you'll probably like it you know yeah and like that's the great that's the great side of it and um, I think the more reputation you get for that the easier it gets and that's really cool yeah is there anything you're doing to actively find out more about your audience when it comes to things like data or any programs that you're using to try and figure out who, who is actually coming or you, you are just literally like come to our events and, and hoping to see who you draw in um i mean we do we do marketing stuff we send out you know emails telling people about what we're doing we do some social media advertising occasionally do a bit of advertising on google um at this stage there's no grand plan for api and like really drilling into the data in the way they probably should be that's something i'd like to do a bit more of but I have this real belief that the stronger music resonates with Woodburner, with me, with the person who's booking it and the people promoting it, the stronger it will resonate with the audience. And if you really believe in it, you'll find other people who believe in it too. And um, that's still more the, the side that I come from it too. And I want to keep that. I think it's important to keep that. And yeah, there'll always be things that you love loads, but you know are never going to be on at the O2, like I said. But then that's that's okay, you know? That's okay, and it doesn't mean that a great band can't find a really passionate audience, even if it's not a million strong. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and I think that when I come to your events, I also notice the range of different ages and the range of different kinds of people there, and you have done more sit-down events into that. So, so you, you are kind of hitting different bases when it comes to demographics and you know I have been to a lot of nights a lot of um, electronic music nights and DJ nights as well where you do tend to get like kind of one crowd and it becomes very niche where you can you know you can meet a lot of like-minded people that are also like that but diversity is the first thing I think of when I think of your nights and I think of mm. both the crowd and, and the acts and I think you bring a very loving group of people together well that's a nice thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think, first and foremost, there's definitely like an idea that 20-somethings are kind of the holy grail of music audience. You know, that if you can yeah. like get a big big bunch of 20-somethings to your show, then you've kind of won because you know that they're all going to be really passionate. The next time you do it, they're all going to bring all their friends down. Everyone's free. Everyone's excited. Everyone wants to be part of it. Everyone's probably got quite a bit of FOMO, which is pretty classic 20s, I think. <laughs> um, and... Um, as people get busier they probably lose a bit of that because they've got other more important things to focus on in their lives um, but um, I mean 
certainly I don't think Woodburner would be what it is if it wasn't for the fact that I started Woodburner when I was 24. You know, not to give away my age, but like that is a very critical moment when lots of people are coming together. Everyone's mixing their energies. Everyone wants to meet someone. Everyone wants a new bunch of friends. Everyone's trying to kind of establish who they are in the world socially. And that's a really important process. Um, and as a as an organization that has now matured from that, it's really nice to 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 see older people at the events and younger people at the events. And to get the whole spectrum of people and to look out over the audience and just be like, there is no like typical person at this event. Um, there are just lots of people who are really enthusiastic about it. Um, but also the audience is usually to one degree or another a reflection of the act that's performing. Mm -hmm. That's the flip side. That is an interesting phenomenon that I've observed, you know, but I think from a diversity perspective, that's really important because you know, Woodburner definitely started out as a white middle class, you know, experience, which is, you know, the world that I come from. And I get a huge kick out of booking bands that come from a completely different background to me. And then just seeing that reflected in the audience and be like, wow, like, look at all these people. Like, these are people who, like, it will be difficult for me to meet any other way. Mm -hmm. And now I've got great friends who I made through music that, you know, had I followed a, a more kind of conventional career path, it, I just would not know people like that, you know. And that's really exciting. You know, like, just for example, Conrad, who, like, DJs at all our, of our events, yeah, he's, himself. like, <laughs> a little bit older, let's say, um, incredibly passionate, like, fellow Arsenal fan, like, and just, like, a brilliant, a brilliant sort of stalwart of Woodburner and an amazing champion of of just like music generally. He's, you know? an, he's an amazing DJ, if yeah. you get to see him. Yeah, another observation I've made about, about Woodburner is you do have quite a lot of uh, the same acts that will come quite regularly. So you have um, Onipa have played a lot, Dele Tassimi has played a lot, mm. Aflasake. You've got a lot of acts that kind of come back and you know build mm. that relationship. And, and they do actually, uh, they're all amazing musicians that, that do have a crowd and, and, and you've built that quite nicely. So how, how is booking building relationships and, and booking people like multiple times yeah um that's something i love doing as a promoter there's always this like obviously um everybody is trying to make their careers sustainable and also to do better to support themselves and the people around them um, by improving their fees and also just you know growing their audiences by playing mm -hmm. to bigger audiences mm -hmm. and that's really important as well so if you run a successful show it, it makes sense to go somewhere bigger and make that one a success too. Um, but then we also have to keep in mind that not all acts again are going to end up in the O2. So there's that, there's that, there's that balance of growing an audience, developing an audience, finding new people, but also like accepting that like sometimes a 300 capacity venue is the right size. And as much as you might want to do a thousand people, that might may just not be feasible and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I think th whenever I've seen anything above 300 capacity, it just brings a bit of a fear <laughs> when you're like, wow, okay, 300, like, it doesn't, might not sound like a lot, but you know, there's a lot of competition in London, there's a lot of other things going on and it's actually quite hard to find big venues with uh, kind of big stages. Well, I remember when we were going to book, well, we, we, we did book TC and the Groove Family last year. I remember we were struggling to find that kind of venue where that could fit 10 people on stage uh, that wasn't huge but you know and it starts to become a little bit tricky to kind of find that that right balance and yeah definitely risk, high, really high bar spends and, and the deal becomes quite difficult to, to manage mm. I think that when it comes to those bigger shows um, I think you've got to just like fall back on a bit of a plan and you also fall back on your experience and you also like think about the variables that you can control because it's very easy to like get sucked into a feeling of powerlessness of just like checking the ticket count and being like we haven't sold enough tickets and then just freaking out and not doing anything and it's i just always ask myself like what can i do like what can i do have i printed flyers have i put posters up everywhere 
Have I done a sponsored post and spent more money on the event to market it? Have I invited all of my friends? Have I sent a designated mail out about it? Have I, you know, there's a million things you can do. Set up promo codes, you know, just like do the guest list two months before the show so that you've got 30 people who are definitely coming and then get them all to tell their mates about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, and also online, there's just a million places you can take these things. And, um, and I think that's a really valuable a lesson for life, actually. If, that, if something's not working out, you've got to ask yourself, like, what can I do to turn this round? Because I'm like the primary agent here. I am the mover. I'm the person who's putting this on. And it's my responsibility. I'm not a victim of the circumstance. And there's always so many answers you can come up with when you challenge yourself to like actually get more people down. You know, and, and also just, you know, texting all of your mates as well to be like, you know, I'm, I'm actually still doing this <laughs> and it's still awesome. And like people are coming and, and loving 10 it. 10 years later, yeah, like, pe- remember me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like people are still coming and loving it and enjoying it. Like maybe like my friends would still enjoy coming to some of these shows. And obviously they do and they come and that's awesome. But also that's, it's also fine for people to dip into something and get into something different afterwards as well. No one's you know, duty bound to come to a show. Yeah, I think another thing about growing an event organically and doing it for for a long period of time is has something to do with personality. And I think your personality is very chilled. <laughs> you don't get that stressed. You don't get <laughs> oh, that. That's what you think. Is it? Well, okay, <laughs> may, 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 okay. I think maybe one day you did, but when when we ran an event together, we've done a couple, uh, and there was let's say a bit of a struggle on tickets at some point. It was. It was always seen as okay. That's that, that's the reality of it. Let's try this. Let's try that. But you always kind of remained calm and didn't latch onto uh, stress, a stressful feeling, and kind of run with that. Yeah, I mean, dealing with stress is a massive, a massive thing when you run events and people w- work in events in lots of different fields that aren't music. And I think stress is like just so normal in the world of events. I think I told you a few years ago, I just realized how stressed I was getting at my events. And I just had to stop and be like, this is not sustainable. If I'm gonna continue to be stressed and run these events, then I don't wanna do it. And I had to, it was, you know, during the summer at the Curve Garden, you know, it's an event I do every week. And I was going down there and I was stressed every week. And I was like, what am I actually stressed about? Like, I'm not even, if I wasn't here, it wouldn't make any difference. Like I'm not even, there are no variables that I'm even controlling. If you were like playing the gig and you were stressed, it would kind of be understandable because you genuinely might mess it up. <laughs> but like when it's your own event, you, you, don't, you don't really have to do anything. If you're well prepared, then there, there shouldn't really be that much to do at the event. You know, you may be managing the event yourself. You may be stage managing or you may be doing product, some production stuff, but like, if you're running an event properly, it should all be pretty well planned out in advance. Everyone should have the information that they need and everyone should know their roles and be doing those roles, you know, sound en- sound engineers and um, door people and, you know, just all the people who are there, they should know what they're doing. And so I was finding, that in spite of the fact that I had all of that sorted out, I was still getting incredibly stressed. And I was just like, I'm just gonna not be stressed this week. I'm just gonna do it, but not feel stressed. And I just forced myself to not stress out about anything. And um, that is something I really hang on to now. I also think it's a fact, like it's a function also of just getting a bit older and just not, not, just like really feeling the pain of stress and of essentially not being able to maintain that stress level of just being like, this is not sustainable to get, to keep getting stressed about events. And sometimes I, I work, producing other people's events and I see them getting incredibly stressed and I and I see myself in it and I'm like whoa I'm glad that's not me anymore yeah I think when you see it elsewhere you're like yeah. whoa okay yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. what stress is. I'm not gonna say who it was but it was like whoa, I think I think anyone that works in, in the industry or, or it, it, this is not just about events it's about a lot of things but you know, events, ha- it's because it, it can't be flexible on them they happen on that day and things might not go to plan and it's very easy for things to happen that, that that can throw you off and create a very stressful situation. 
but yeah, it is just important to, to try and I think for me, I've always well recently really tried to detach what where the success is. Is it personal success or is it a thing you're doing? So it's a project that you are doing with passion and that's the problem is there's so much passion in it and there's so much belief in it that mm. when it doesn't go to plan it can feel like a personal um, a personal attack and a personal failure yeah. but when you detach you are yourself <laughs> you know living breathing do have your relationships have your life and then you also have projects that you're involved in and they're separate and yeah. actually if your project isn't working that doesn't mean you're not working it's the project that's not working and you can do certain things to try and make that not a failure in the in the future and make it a success but mm. it's not you personally that is failing yeah i mean that's very true <laughs> and i wish that we were all able to like detach ourselves from our projects to that degree but i think that's quite that's quite a rare and amazing skill i think particularly if it's you getting do... there i wouldn't say it's always fully there it often creeps back but it's not mm. actively trying to yeah definitely and i think that um that's an incredibly valuable um, you know, way of thinking about your own projects. I think if you if you're doing something full time, and it's it doesn't feel like it's working, that can be incredibly demoralizing, and it's quite hard to detach yourself from it, particularly mm -hmm. if it's the way you're trying to put food on the table. Yeah. At the same time, um, but but you're also absolutely right, and it's important to like hold your head up high and be like, I am still a valid and awesome human being, <laughs> even if my night is going to lose money and there's only yeah. going to be 50 people there or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, 50 people, 50 people dancing in a room. I've had some What's of some, that? Interestingly, exactly. some of my um, most undersold events have actually kind of been some of my favourites because yeah. <laughs> I'm just really glad that the right people are turning up and mm. that people are... So I ran a night not too long ago and, you know, there wasn't that many people there, but the vibe was really good because everyone was using the whole space to the best mm. way. There were people sitting down, there were people up, up like... Um, dancing, there were people like looking. We had an artist engaging with the art. There was food there. People having food at the bar. Everyone was spread out nicely. And then I went out to have some food, and then we came back in, and everyone was like dancing, like together. And there was like mm. people hugging, and there was like new people dancing in circles together, and people being silly, people being really silly. And it was like such a beautiful thing. I just didn't expect, and I was like, oh, that's so nice. And I was mm. like, okay, even if it didn't make money let's say it's, it still felt really good and it felt like people were really receiving what what, what they were being presented and, and yeah, really enjoying which is the most themselves. important thing and we're, and, we're, and we're forgiving you know like, like it's not I, I felt like oh my god what are they going to think but, but they just wanted to have a good time and listen to good music but you're very right when it comes to doing it more as a hobby versus doing it as a day job um, because obviously there is more pressures financially yeah but you also churn out a lot of events so you have this kind of contingency plan where if one doesn't work the next one might and then you know what I mean you kind of balance it out because I mean yeah. I looked at the program this year and there's just uh, like multiple events every week you know or like quite regular events that you're running yeah it's funny like trying to get to that level of um where something is is truly sustainable and I actually think right now my idea of something being sustainable has shifted and what I would really like is to be employing just two two people to help do things so that I'm still there pretty much every day doing stuff but that I can delegate specific tasks to specific people and then work with them on things and that's my current challenge um, and I think what's cool is that there's definitely scope to do that in London alone you know, there's definitely enough people to populate enough events to to achieve that, which is kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. um, that London has this like huge passion for music that they want to come out and keep supporting and keep seeing things and, and get excited about amazing music. Um, and yeah, I think like, I think for me, sustainability right now looks like just cherry picking a couple of people who have that passion enough to do it as a job as well and kind of find a way to work with them to to swell Woodburner into a little a real business and that's a quite quite a fun I think connecting back to what you were saying before about um, disconnecting yourself from your project uh, but to take that even further to disconnecting yourself from your project so that your project can function completely without you mm -hmm. but it's still your project mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden you start to like objectify Woodburner 
and look at it as like its own separate entity of being like in order to be Woodburner and do the things that Woodburner does, so many tasks need to be completed. So many different roles need to be filled and responsibilities need to be taken. Um, but I don't actually have to do any of those things in order for Woodburner to carry on. I just need to f- make sure they happen. And then at some point, maybe I won't even need to make sure they happen. Maybe they'll just carry on happening because somebody else will be masterminding it. And that's a really exciting, cool idea. I really find, yeah, I mean, I'm just doing some like business training at the moment. So that's kind of long overdue, but like very, very exciting. And suddenly like looking at your project as separate entities that are like these little ecosystems, these little kind of interconnecting systems where the dots get joined together and then there's an internal circuitry that keeps the need keeps needs to keep running in order for the motor to to spin how, how do you how do you see yourself actually getting more people on board like is there a process for that well yes yeah, so um i've got i've got some exciting leads um i've got I'm, i've got some work placements uh one from lewisham council one from islington council um who are paying for people to work for woodburner which is amazing so basically the council pay the person in order to work for Woodburner because they're trying to encourage more young people into working in the arts. Okay. Um, so then we'll do a proper recruitment process, job description, you know, and interviews, and then find the right candidate to suit the role, which is going to be awesome. In terms of like really objectifying and kind of drilling into what what running Woodburner is or what working for Woodburner will be to have to go through that process I think is going to be great Mm. so I think people should be looking towards grants and and uh, council initiatives and other resources are there what value are you bringing to people that want to get involved in in employment like um, Kwame who runs the Jago who was a previous guest in the show talked about the Kickstarter scheme that came out a couple of years ago which was you know uh, subsidized employment for 16 to 24 year olds yeah and you know support and, and and these are great ways of actually building a team and then if they if they if their presence can bring more value to the business then obviously you have more resources to put into them and, and exactly take them on full time so they justify themselves and then all of a sudden you've got someone who's actually adding so much to your business that you're like well now i can afford to pay you because you're you've proved your worth to the organization mm-hmm. that is exactly what it's all about um and that's essentially what I'm trying to do at the moment. But also I think that the other thing you said about putting on more events, making more money, generating more revenue in order to pay people, that's also true at the same time. And I think that all of this really on a sort of, on a more personal level for me is about just like um, a deeper level of commitment to doing it and um, a real focus on it as like, um, my main focus and trying to actively um, put all of my energy into one thing rather than spreading my energy across different things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really powerful thing to like really kind of just focus, just focusing on manifesting all of my energy through Woodburner and making the events really successful and making Woodburner as a platform, as a brand, as a promotions company, as a a world of music that people can get into as exciting, cool, diverse, connected and connecting as possible. I think that just, that seems to be maybe more powerful than your Kickstarter, maybe more powerful than your work placement. It feels like that's the way it's going, that it's like, um, there's a real power in the collaboration that I'm doing as well, not in terms of employing people, but in terms of just like reaching out to people who I really respect and admire and then trying to work with them on specific things and then that's a really lovely way to cross pa- cross pollinate and be like oh well we're working together on this thing you can find out about your people can find out about my thing my people can find out about your thing we're all kind of chucking our chucking our eggs in together and that um i think that's a very powerful process as well in terms of growing growing what, what we're doing yeah, one thing we have touched upon it a few times, and I'm trying to find the right time to talk about it is is the curve garden, because that is something that I think you need to continue doing, and and yeah. and, and and things like that is what what I, I feel like that has helped you facilitate some growth and has has brought stability, 
to the Woodburner brand over mm. time and actually finding more opportunities like that. So I don't know if you could spend a little bit of context about it because it's, it's an amazing space and you have a little exclusivity over it over the summer. Yeah. <laughs> so Woodburner at Dalston Curve Garden is every Tuesday from June to September. Dalston Curve Garden is a beautiful outdoor space. It's a community garden. It's not a music venue. Um, I cycled in there in 2013 in spring and said, hey, why don't we do some live music in your garden? And they were up for it. Um, so we started doing it and it's just always been a really magical, special and unique event. And of all the events that I do, I think that is the one which which really has its own hallmark and its own uniqueness and its own special flavour. And um, running an event like that does feel very special because, you know, if you stop doing it, it will just cease to exist. And it's in a way, it's not a new template because people love outdoor events in this country. We don't have a long summer, but our summer is beautiful and people love to get out in the open air. British people love to be outdoors whenever they can. And this is a great way of doing that through music, um, which is incredibly powerful. Um, I love the idea of doing more outdoor events in other venues, but it's quite difficult to find spaces that are right for outdoor outdoor music. And it's also inherently a bit risky with the weather as well. Mm -hmm. um, but having said that, look at all the amazing festivals that happen all over the UK through the summer. So that's kind of the same thing. And I, ha I have been to the Curb Garden on a rainy day and it still has people up dancing. Yeah, people and still come. Yeah, people they come. still come, which is good. They come, but it's a bit of a nightmare. But <laughs> it's more of a nightmare for the people organising it than, yeah. than the audience, I think, because I'm always just worried that the sound system's going to blow up. Yeah. That's my big worry. <laughs> and I've got endurance and blah, 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 but it's still, it's like, that would be really bad. Yeah. <laughs> But it's also, also thinking about like wet hire and dry hire. So for those that don't know, it, it's like mm. with uh, wet hire is when you hire out a venue or a space and they have you know their bar, they have all the sound system, all the equipment themselves, and you're basically renting mm. out the space for the for the event. And there's there's some kind of deal that happens when you promote there. But dry hire is when you can bring your own sound system, run your own bar, and basically take a space that doesn't necessarily have a, a license to to be a music venue. Mm. So you have. A, done a little bit of that at um, the Round Chapel as well and, yeah. and you have your own sound system and own backline at the Curve Garden so is that something you want to you want to go into or is there any tips you can give for people that want to maybe go into dry hire? Um, to be honest my tip would be try to avoid it if you can <laughs> I think it's a nightmare <laughs> um, but I've always done it when I had to for different reasons and um, you can definitely make more, more money if you run a successful event and then you're running the bar, then you can cover all of your costs more easily and end up with a bigger profit margin if you're running the bar. Um, so if you're very confident on your event and you have the opportunity to do a dry hire, that could be an awesome, awesome idea. Um, things I've learned are make sure you buy your alcohol on sale or return that can make a huge difference because you don't want to have a garage full of undrunk booze knocking around for ages and you don't want and you don't want to just have all of that money just sitting in in alcohol that's not been drunk so if you can return it after you've done your event that's a great way to just um make sure you're not do you, yeah that you're that you're that you're more liquid I didn't you realize you could do that I know, yeah, I only figured it out recently. That was good. <laughs> okay, that's that was a good tip. Good, that's a good tip. <laughs> um, um, dry hire. I think it's a specific event. It's a very specific event that where you, where you want something that is so specific that like you need to dry hire it yourself. And my experiences in London with so well catered for in terms of venues that have all of the infrastructure you need to put on an event. That most places, if they're offering you dry hire, they're charging you pretty high fees for the dry hire. So you don't, you're not gonna end up doing that much better. You can definitely do better, but you won't end up doing that much better than just letting someone else handle the bar. That's just my personal opinion, and that is quite informed by the fact that I don't really like running bars. Okay. Um, and also, my sort of holy grail on the flip side is just having my own venue. 
where you can then... Well, I've heard then... You, the, the process, you've walked me through the process as it's been going on. It's not easy, guys, but it's also a rewarding process. Well, I just love the idea that, that you can, instead of every time you do an event, you get your artist to come to one place, you come get your audience to come there. If you're running the bar, you have to bring your own bar and all your own staff and a sound system to make the whole thing and your own team to run it. What if you could just do that, but in the same place, every time and if you're doing that then that's called running a venue <laughs> definitely <laughs> i agree with what you're saying and and i want to also talk about because i know that you you were to kind of like wrap this up is 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 talk about kind of what you really want to give to people wanting to do this wanting to start their own venue like you were saying wanting mm. to start their own night what are the real key takeaways here what, what do you think people should do if they're looking to do this i think people should stick to what they know and stick to what they're good at and stick to where their real passion is. And I think that some of the best events and some of the most exciting events are quite different. Um, so, uh, for example, my friend wrote a book about whales and he did a whale sound bath where it was like playing whale song through a sound system and then like in very gentle tones explaining about the whales and why they sung the way they sing and why it sounds the way it sounds and just some other awesome facts about you know how deep a blue whale can dive and how long a sperm whale can hold its breath for and you know all of this cool stuff and for me I was like oh my god this is like the coolest event I've ever been to because it's so niche and it's so so just like tailored to what one person is really interested in and I think like if you're like really passionate about ambient music, you should be running an ambient night and you will find it so much easier to program that night and so much easier to promote it as well because you know all about ambient music. And if you're like really passionate about techno, then like you should be running a techno night because you're gonna end up really, it's gonna be really easy for you to get to know techno DJs and a crowd that loves techno. And you're gonna find yourself with lots of like-minded people who really, understand you and who you understand and that's going to be the best way to kind of push things forward yeah and the future for woodburner on a sort of internal level i'd love to see woodburner continue to just be more organized and book things further in advance and just feel more settled i would love to just continue to collaborate with more and more different people different sorts of people different sorts of music I'm going to run an I'm a piano night in August that I'm really excited about. <laughs> um, doing some like psychedelic cumbia that's going to be great. Amazing. Um, I'm going to do quite a lot for London Jazz Festival, which is also really exciting. That's in November. Um, the Curve Garden is coming up. We'll be here before you know because it, it starts at the beginning of June and got loads of amazing music uh, programmed for that. The first one is on the 6th of June and there's an amazing artist called Alicia Joy playing. And then the following week, there's a great singer called Face Soul collaborating with an awesome guitarist called Michael Sebastian. On the way do we go? Yeah, so um, find Woodburner online. Our website is woodburner.tv. Um, our Instagram is Woodburner Music. Thank you to Sharif. Big thanks to Cooler. Big up the Cooler. And um, <laughs> looking forward to attending lots of Cooler shows soon. Yeah, thank you so much for, for joining me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Big up. <laughs>